0: Welcome to Foundry Church, so good to have you here today. And as we get started, I want to give just a special shout-out to Foundry Vicksburg right now, celebrating their grand opening. I'm so excited about what God's going to do through Foundry there in Vicksburg. And so every single person who's there right now, uh, every single leader there, Pastor Cody and the whole team, I'm just excited about what God's going to bring in that community. I think God's got big stuff in store for Vicksburg and for the people ...who are at the church right now. So I just want to celebrate that. Excited about what's ahead and excited about our time right now that we get to share. God's going to speak to us through His Word today. And we're launching a brand new message series called Divine Design. Now, Divine Design is all about the the pattern that God has set up for how He wants us to live. there's, There's really four steps or four pieces of the puzzle. And everybody's journey is going to look a little bit different. But God is going to use these four pieces, these four steps for me and for you and for really everyone who we come in contact with. God has a purpose in mind for each one of us. There's a divine design for every single one of us that we want to know how we live into that. So today we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the divine design and really the first step in that. We're going to go to God's Word first of all. So if you have your Bibles, open them up to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14. We're going to start off in verse 15 of that chapter. While you're turning there, I want to tell you a little bit about the Gospel of Luke, it's one of the four accounts in the New Testament that tells the story of Jesus, how he came. He taught us how to follow Jesus, or how to follow God, how to follow the Father. Uh, and then he, he lived and he died for our behalf and he rose again from the dead three days later. And, and in the process, he brought the kingdom of God to earth in a special way. And Luke was actually a doctor who was an early follower of Jesus. He knew all the people who, like he knew Mary, the mother of Jesus, and he knew the disciples of Jesus. So he actually went to them, and he heard their accounts, and he wrote it down for us. This is God's word for us today. So if you look down at your Bibles, Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 15, this is what God's word says to us today. When one of those who reclined at table with him, that's Jesus, heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet, and he invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to those who had been invited. Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. Another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and he said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city, bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, sir, what you commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, None of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. I want to start off with a question today, and here's here's the question for you. I want want you to, in your own mind, think about this and answer it. The question is, have you ever felt like, in life, in a relationship, at work, at school, like you don't belong? Have you ever felt like you don't belong? I think for many of us, this is something that in some area of our life we can resonate with. We have an imposter syndrome syndrome. We feel like where we are, maybe it shouldn't, is not where we should be. I've I've felt this a lot of times in my life. One time in particular, I was in my early 20s and I was actually kind of a weird phase of my life. I was thinking about running for political office, a very low level political office. And so I shared this with a family friend who was pretty wealthy and she was very involved in politics. And so she said, hey, I'm actually hosting. She said, I'm not going to be there, but I'm hosting a political gathering at this house I own. It wasn't where she lived, just another house she had. That's, that's the kind of wealth we're talking about. And she said, hey, I'm hosting an event there. So if you want to go over there, you can gather, you can meet some people, get to know some people. So I thought, this is great. Great networking opportunity filled full of, you know, a guy who's 22 years old and ready to get into politics, the kind of confidence I had at that moment. So I went over to this event and I walk in, and when I showed up, it wasn't a big political event. There was like five people in this room. And and as I stood there, kind of awkwardly, everybody else knew each other, a few more people came, and there might have been 15 to 20 people there total, but every single person, and my friend didn't tell me this, every single person who who came brought a check that they put on the table. Like, this this was a fundraising event. She didn't tell me this, so everybody's coming and bringing checks, putting them on the table, and I'm kind of just standing there awkwardly. I have no check, I don't know anybody. Everybody else knows each other. So I tried to, have you ever tried to insert yourself a little bit into a conversation? You don't know anybody trying to do it. And so uh, some of the guys were walking around looking at the house. It was a very nice house. And, and I'd been to this house before, so I, I already knew about it. But I was walking with them and walked into this room and there was a, a whole like full-size pool inside the house. And I was like, whoa, that's so cool. Did you guys, did you guys see this, this pool in here? And I remember when I said that, they both looked at me like I was the biggest idiot in the world in a way that only, I guess, like rich people in politics can look at you. Because they looked at me, and they both just stared at me for a couple seconds, long enough to register, you're an idiot. And then they just turned back and started talking with each other. And I don't know if I've ever felt smaller in my life. It was clear, I don't belong. I didn't bring the money, didn't dress right, didn't know the right people, didn't say the right thing. Have you ever felt like you don't belong? Maybe in your family you just feel like you don't connect, Maybe at your workplace, you just you don't really feel like you belong. Maybe in life, you're just looking around at, at the world right now and you're thinking, I don't know if I belong. Maybe in your relationship with God, you're like, man, I, I don't really know if, if I belong in my relationship with God. I was talking with one of my uncles a couple years ago, and he said, man, I just feel like my story's been so different than everybody else's. I don't know if, if, if my, like, I don't know if how I belong with God, and I really have to struggle to feel that sense of connection with God. Maybe that's where you're at. Today. I really think what Jesus tells us here in these verses helps guide us forward to understand how we can find our place and where we belong with God. So, Jesus was here, he was having a banquet, a feast, he was over at somebody's house just eating dinner, and he saw everybody trying to find the seat of honor. Back in this time, these biblical times, it was important where you sat, and sitting closer to the host was a place of honor. And so, Jesus looks at all these people and says, Hey, don't, don't seek the place of honor. And then he says, hey, don't just invite all your best friends over. Invite people who can't repay you. Invite them over. That's what you should do. So he gets done saying this. And there's some loud mouth in the, in the background. Some guy shouts out. We're not told who it is, but somebody shouts out. Verse 15. He said, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. This is like a really spiritual sounding thing. He's trying to say something to impress Jesus. This is the star student right here. He's like, hey, everyone, everyone who eats bread in God's kingdom is going to be blessed. And Jesus, instead of saying, hey, man, that's so good, man. I'm so glad you've been paying attention, instead comes back and tells him a story that really pushes back against that. This is what Jesus says. We've already read it, but he says, hey, a man gave a great banquet. He invited many people. At the time for the banquet, he sent his servants around to everybody to invite them to come. And Jesus is, is telling us a story That's proving a point about what God's kingdom is like, what it's like to be in relationship with God. And so this this servant goes around and invites people. And person after person after person has an excuse why they can't make it out to the party. Now here's something important to understand about big parties that they would host back in these times, right? We're talking 2,000 years ago in Israel. How a party would work if you were throwing a big party is you wouldn't just invite people to it who may or may not be able to come. You would send out RSVPs first. So kind of like a wedding, right? Before you have a wedding, you'll send out an RSVP, see who can make it. And so you'd send these out. People would respond that they could come. And then it took a long time to prep food and do all the prep for a party back in those days. So when everything was finally ready, all the food was cooked, everything was set up, they would send someone around and say, okay, it's all ready to go. Let's party. So these are already people who have who've said, we're going to be there. We want to make this happen. We're excited about the party. And when the time for the party comes, the word goes out. And suddenly you got these three people making excuses. And and to me, honestly, they they sound like kind of lame excuses. If you've tried to host an event at your house or get people together for something in 2023, you've probably heard something similar, right? It is so hard to get people together. And everyone says, well, I can make it. I think I can make it. And then when the night comes, they say, hey, I'm tired from work. Hey, I've got this thing going on with the kids. I can't make it. I don't know if that happens in your life happens for me sometimes. Maybe, it's, maybe that's just a me thing, but I think that happens in our culture. In fact, I've, I've found myself being at the place where when someone invites me over, I said, yeah, I think I'll be able to make it, right? You probably do the same thing. Why do we do that? To give ourselves an out. And so these, these three different people make excuses. The first one said, hey, I've, I bought a field. I've got to go out and see it, which, which seems like the lamest, the lamest excuse of all time. Why can't you come to the party? Why can't you come and celebrate? because you bought a field and you got to go stare at your field. The second person says, hey, would love to come, but I've got five yoke of oxen. I've got to go out and examine them. I mean, so far, if you're the person hosting this, you know, one person's got to go stare at their field. Another person's got to go stare at their oxen. Like you're feeling pretty low on the priority list. The third person honestly seems like probably the best excuse to me. He's not staring at his field. He's not going out looking at his oxen. He just got married. He says, can't make it. Just got married. But even that's a pretty lame excuse because he had already committed to come to this. And just because he got married, you know, that that gave him no excuse not to come. Now, the, the Old Testament law actually said if you were a man who got married, you couldn't be called to go to war for a year after you got married. But he's not going to war. He's not being called to go to war. He's committed to show up at this party and he's making his excuse. I think we see something so important in this. Uh, the first one says, hey, I just bought a field. The second one says, hey, I just bought oxen. The third one says, hey, I've just married a wife. Every single one of them has an excuse not to come based on their self-sufficiency. I'm gonna talk about self-sufficiency for a minute. You know, it sounds like a good all-American value. I'm self-sufficient, not depending on people. But self-sufficiency, listen to me here, is actually the opposite of a fulfilling life, if we are self-sufficient, it's the opposite of the life we want. We're talking about God's divine design for us. Being self-sufficient actually leaves us in a place we don't want to be. So think about being self-sufficient when it comes to relationships. So I don't need, I don't, I don't need people to be there for me. I'm, I'm strong. You know, I'm, I'm, I, can, I can stand up for myself. I can do this. And what you're going to find if you take that too far is you're self-sufficient to the point of not having friends anymore because you don't need them right? You're all good. We can do this with our family. I'm I'm good. I don't need the help. I don't need it. I don't need it. I don't need it. I'm going to push back and push back, separate. I'm self-sufficient and we find ourselves isolated. We can do this with God as well, right? I'm self-sufficient. I got everything I need. I've got stuff figured out spiritually. I don't need to be close to God. Self-sufficient, self-sufficient. And we end up in a place where our self-sufficiency is actually self-defeating. What what should we think is going to bring us life because we're capable on our own actually leaves us in the place where we are outside of God's kingdom. We're outside of the party God is throwing. We're on the outside of it. And here's here's how I know this is so true. Because when you you are self-sufficient, what you're doing is you are pushing back against relationship, right? Self-sufficiency is the opposite of relationship. If all you need is yourself, you don't need anybody else. If all you need is where you are, if you can provide for everything you need, why would you need someone else? And the very first thing we know about who we are as humans, and this is true about you and me and every single human being that's ever existed, the very first thing the Bible tells us, all the way back in the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verse 27, is that we are made in the image of God. Now, this means a number of things, but the most fundamental thing that it means to be made in the image of God is that we are made to be relational. So so we're made to be in relationship with other people. We're made to be in relationship with God. We are fundamentally relational. We are people who are rooted and grounded in relationship, at least when we're at our healthiest. Now, this is true because God, in and of himself, is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, three persons, and so within God, this is a mind-blowing thought. It's hard to wrap our minds around, but within God, he is relational. So in the very fabric of the universe, in God has built his nature, his image, into us as relational people. And so any idea of self-sufficiency, that I'm good on my own, I can do enough, I'm okay, is false. And it leads to isolation. It leads to a breakdown of our lives. It's self defeating. God's made you to be in relationship, and self-sufficiency pushes back against that. Now, in this story, it's, it's kind of expressed in a small way. Their self-sufficiency is, hey, I got this stuff going on in my life. I'm good. It seems small, but, but Jesus is proving a point here, not just about a party. This is not a, a how-to for a party. Jesus is proving a point here far bigger than that. He's talking about the kingdom of God. What does it look like to live in God's kingdom in right relationship with him? And so what we're learning here is actually a principle that applies much more broadly. That if we're self-sufficient and we've got stuff figured out on our own and we reject relationship, then we end up isolated. We end up not where we want to be and not where God wants us to be. So the servant has, has gone around and the servant actually comes back to the master and he tells him what everybody said. Verse 21, the servant came and reported these things to his master and the master of the house became angry. This would have been a real insult. Everyone had said, we can come, we can make it. And suddenly, they're not there. So the master became angry, he said to his servants, go quickly to the streets and lanes of the city, bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. Now, if you were hosting a party and, and you had wealth, which the guy hosting this party clearly does, then you would never invite these people. These, these people are, are the lowest of the low in this society. These are the people who were broken, who didn't have anything. They were the opposite of self-sufficient. They were people who weren't just needy, but they were people who knew and understood their need. And I think this is such a, such a, a key point Jesus is making here is, is that the master goes out, right? The, the person throwing the party goes out and finds the person who understands their insufficiency who understands societally their worthlessness, who understands their need, and that is the person that the master brings in. So he says, go out, go out, and bring back in these people. Back when I was in college one, one evening, I was studying in the library. I was, I was a real bookworm in, in college, always studying, focusing on my grades, and I was there working, And then I start to. I got a text from this girl I was dating at the time. She said, "Hey, do you want to come over and hang out at the student center?" And I mean, that sounded like a good time hanging out, but I had school to focus on. Can can somebody relate? Let's go. Like, you got to have priorities, right? You got to focus on the things that matter. Grades are important, right? Girlfriends come and go. Grades are forever on your transcript. You got to focus on the A's before the B's. Can I get an amen, right? You got to focus on what really, really matters. And so she texted me and I said, hey, I'll be there in a little while. Come on, how about that? And then she texted me again about 30 minutes later and was like, hey, I would love to hang out. Can you come over and can we just hang out together? And I texted back and said, I'll be there in a little bit. I'm studying, right? You see the mindset? I was on the grind in college getting those grades and then I keep studying and I'm like, I'm feeling kind of good about myself, right? And then out of nowhere, I don't see it coming. I'm just, I'm plugging away at school. A bag is thrown over my head. And like, I, I didn't react immediately. You're supposed to have fight or flight, you know? I just had more like a zen, just really chill serenity. And then I felt about eight to 12 hands grab hold of me. And that's when I started to wonder like, there's something going on here, right? Something, something's not right about this. And then I was lifted up. And I kind of figured there were other people around me in the library. I thought the chances of this being like a taken style kidnapping are probably pretty small. But I'm not sure about that and so I began to kick and and throw some elbows and I I caught a couple people with my elbows and the fists and then the bag came off just enough where I saw at least one guy that I knew and I thought either I've really picked a bad friend or I'll probably be okay so they lifted me up carried me on their shoulders with a bag over my head out of the library they throw me on what felt like a golf cart and they they drive me around campus and I'm figuring this is this has got to look weird but if it's really problematic somebody could probably call the cops and they take me down, they, they, they drive me down a street, they, they get me off, it feels like behind a house, they take me up, they carry me inside, they drop me on the floor, and I'm not sure what I'm about to see when this bag comes off. I don't know if this is an Al-Qaeda style, like hostage video thing. I don't know what's coming next. They pull the bag off of my face, and there's a group of people in a circle around me, and they all say, surprise, happy birthday, and they sing happy birthday to me. The whole thing was, was a surprise birthday party for me. They had gotten that girl to text me to come over and hang out because they were trying to get me to the birthday party. But when I didn't come, they picked me up, they grabbed me, literally carried me blindfolded to my own birthday party. This, the same idea is going on here. You have these people who are so needy, who are so broken that the, that the master says, go out. He says, compel them to come in, get them and bring them in, draw them into this feast, bring them into this party because I want people at this party. Remember, Jesus is not telling a story about a party. Jesus is telling us here a story about how his kingdom works. Jesus says those who are broken, those who are needy, those who understand their brokenness and their need are the ones who are going to find their way to this party. And so he's saying this in a context where he's over hanging out with a bunch of people at dinner right now, and they're all people who feel self-sufficient, and they feel like they're probably good with God because they're pretty good people overall, and Jesus is trying to tell them, he's trying to prove a point to them right now, you're not okay on your own. You need to recognize your brokenness. Only people who understand how needy they are, needy for God and needy for what he has, are the people who will be in the kingdom of God. But the people who understand their brokenness and are willing to admit it, those are the people who are welcomed to God's kingdom. Those are the people who have a seat at the table. Now, we can hear something like this, and I think there's two responses that I often see come up in our lives. Two two ways we can respond to this. I think the first one that is so natural for us is we feel like, well, I'll accept God's invitation if I can repay him. So I'll, I'll come to God's party. I'll join his kingdom. I'll be part of what he's doing. I'll have a relationship with him if I can repay him. If I can earn it, right? Because I mean, I don't know if you grew up with this. I grew up in this sort of family where we'd go help somebody move, we'd go help them like mow their yard. And anytime they tried to pay us, we were taught, never accept money for it, you just do it, right? We're we're gonna earn this, we're gonna just do things because but there's a reality of in our lives with God that we we just have to receive his free gift. As a kid, I was always confused about why the adults argued about who paid for dinner, we go out to eat, everyone's trying to pay it, and I was a kid, I, I thought I'd cracked the code, I was like, well, just let the other person pay for it, <laughs> that sounds pretty nice, you get a free dinner out of this, that sounds pretty great, and now that I've become an adult, I realize, like, there's still that, there's that tussle, you know, who's going to pay for it, hey, I got you this time, I got you, and I've, I've learned now that if someone tries to pay for me, I'll just tell them, hey, we're going to be friends long enough, well, I got you next time, we're going to go out again soon, but there's, there's this idea that we have of we don't want to be indebted to someone, we want to repay them. But that cannot work in God's kingdom. Only people who are needy, who are broken, who understand their insufficiency can be part of God's kingdom. So one response is to try to repay God. The other response to all this is looking at all of it and you still say, but I don't think I belong. Like I don't look right. I'm not right. You know maybe how dark your thoughts can be, your heart can be, the hate that can be in there sometimes, that what you can do, the pettiness, and you think, I'm not worthy of God. And it's kind of figuratively like, I'm not wearing the right thing to come to church, right? I'm not looking right to come into God's presence. And like, I kind of wonder, what is that? Like, what's the right thing to wear to God's presence? Is it a suit? Like, is that what you're supposed to wear to look good? Is it a, is it a choir robe? Like, what's, what's the thing that makes you look good enough to where you can belong? Because Jesus is really clear here. It's not about the people who look right on the outside, who are sufficient and can show that to other people. It's the people who are needy And who understand their need. And I just got to believe there are some people here who are needy right now. And maybe you haven't shown it. And maybe you're just trying to repay it. But there are some people here right now who want to belong. And you want to have a close relationship with God. You want to have a seat at the table. But you're too busy trying to repay it. Or you're too busy just thinking you don't belong to just receive what God is giving to you. So this is the the first step in, in God's divine design for my life and for your life and for everybody's life. Our first step is to recognize our insufficiency and then come into a relationship with God on his terms. To put it just in two words, right? The first step for us is to know God. To come to this place where we actually have a relationship with him where we can, we can draw close to him and, and we can know what he wants for our lives and we can begin to walk in that. And the way we start is not by figuring it out. It's not by having the answers. It's not by being good enough. It's not by being in a place where you can repay him or give back to him. It's simply to say, I'm broken and I'm needy. And I really, really would love to be able to come close to God, to be able to come into a relationship with him. And, and i've I've been pastoring long enough. And I know I've uh, grown up right in Mississippi, we got this Southern culture thing going on where everybody like knows God. Everybody, you know, just prayed a sinner's prayer at some point. Maybe it was growing up at your you know grandmother's Baptist Church, or maybe it was at a VBS somewhere, or maybe it was at a summer camp. Like we've all prayed the sinner's prayer. but I'm talking about like not superficially knowing God, not being like, yeah, I've talked to God. I prayed to the man upstairs. I'm talking about really knowing him, about, about knowing you belong because you are a son or daughter of God, knowing that when, when God throws this feast, the kingdom of God, right, is like a feast, it's a party, that you have a place, you don't have to show up and feel awkward and wonder if you belong, you know you belong, and the first step of this, right, how this all begins is by knowing God, and we know God by first recognizing our need, our brokenness. And then coming to him and receiving from him on his terms, just coming to him, receiving who he is and letting him do his work in our lives. I think so many of us have been stuck and I got to repay. I don't belong that we've gotten in the way of what God wants to do to work in our lives, to bless us, to draw us close to him. And, And this this is how God wants to know you. And you know this already. I want to say it again so you can hear it with fresh ears now that you understand how the kingdom of God works and this banquet that God's throwing in his kingdom and he's inviting you to a seat at the table. Jesus came, right, fully God and fully human. He lived his life. He he taught us the way of the Father, taught us the way of the kingdom of God. And he lived for 33 years on this earth. And then the time came where he, he went to the cross And he went to the cross because because you and I have sinned. Every single person has sinned. And what sin is, is choosing our way over God's way, rejecting God's will and choosing our own will because we're self-sufficient. And Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. Then he rose from the dead showing who he was. Then he sent his Holy Spirit to live within us to transform us if we trust in him. And right now we have an opportunity to come close to God by trusting in what Jesus has done and then trusting the way of Jesus, right? We don't just say, I pray a prayer once and I'm done. We, we trust in what Jesus has done on the cross. And then we follow the way of Jesus going forward. We trust God's way. And I believe there are some people here today who, who might be ready to take that step. Like, you really do want to know God. Maybe you've been messing around with it. Maybe you feel like you did know God once, but you've drifted. It's time to come back. Maybe some people today, for the first time, you're ready just to commit your life To God, because you recognize your neediness. You recognize who God is. And today's the day you're ready to commit your life for the first time. Some of us, it's recommitting our life to him. But God is ready. Like he set this banquet table. He sent out invitations. All the self-sufficient people said they couldn't make it. But all the people who know their need, who know their own brokenness, who want to come to the banquet by trusting in Jesus, by following his way, by turning our backs on our own ways, our own self-sufficiency, we can walk in what Jesus has for us. There is a seat at the table that is available to you. Are you ready to take that next step? I believe that that many of us are. I believe that there's somebody here. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now. The Holy Spirit is God. He's communicating to you. You feel a nudge or a pull. You feel a challenge in your life. Man, I have been self-sufficient. I really want to draw close to God right now. It's very simple. It's not complex. You don't have to repay God. You don't have to belong before you do this. All you do is just you say, I'm handing over my life to you, God. I'm trusting what Jesus did for me on the cross. I'm trusting in his way now to follow after him. And I'm going all in for you, God. And just, just that simple statement in your heart and prayed, that starts your step of the divine design God has for you. So I want to invite you, Wherever you're watching this from right now, if you're ready to take that step, I want to invite you to go to prayer with me. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. You can repeat these words after me. And don't just say the words, but if you're saying these words from your heart, I want to invite you to to own your neediness, own your brokenness, and then hand it over to Jesus and receive from him the new life he has for you. So if you're ready to take that step, I want to invite you to, to close your eyes right now and pray these words after me. Jesus, I give everything to you. I give you my brokenness, I give you my neediness, I give you my self-sufficiency, and I want to come into relationship with you. I turn my back on my own way, and I embrace your way. I trust in what you did for me on the cross, I trust in your Holy Spirit, and I trust in the new life you can bring. Change me from the inside, transform me by your power, Help me to live into your design for my life. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.